It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory joining us today. By the way, Wise Money is powered by Ledoux, Kern, and Keene. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel on the web at lck-law.com. You can submit your questions by calling us at 574-222-2000. Just leave your uh, your question on the voicemail box, or you can get information about the show, listen to previous shows, and, of course, submit a question online by going to wisemoneyradio.com. So, interest rates back in the headlines following the Fed's announcement in mid-December. Mike, tell us what the big deal is, man. So, the Fed has not raised interest rates since June of 2006. And we have been in this long stretch where interest rates have been really at the floor. For almost the past decade, they've been at the lowest possible rate. And that's starting to create some permanent implications in financial instruments and how people are planning for their finances. A good example is, think about the last two winters that we've had. Just brutally cold, right? And I remember after last winter, talking to my wife about, oh my goodness, if every winter is going to be this cold... We're going to have to change our approach here. We're going to have to get, you know, probably a new snowblower instead of the dinky tiny one that I've got right now, maybe different, you know, jackets and all that stuff. Um, and But thankfully this winter is just fine, more mild, and so my little tiny snowblower is safe and sound in my, in my garage. But anyway, if conditions stayed that way for that long, we're going to have to change our approach. And that's what's happening with interest rates. They've been so long, so low for so long that a lot of financial tools or a lot of financial strategies have got to change their approach now because we're in a different interest rate environment. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. But the number one approach that we need to change, and maybe this is a sign of maturity, is we're done predicting what the interest <laughs> rates are going to do. Probably a good strategy yeah. now, I guess. <laughs> Interest rates have made financial advisors, and I'll speak for myself here, look like fools over the years because we've often said, you know, they, they can't go down from here back in 2006, and yet here we are. We're at lower interest rates now than we were in 2006. And, you know, people have been predicting left and right what they're going to do, what it's going to mean for the markets. And today we're not talking about predictions. We're talking about what have the effects been on in, of interest rates on your financial planning. Now, this is important too, Kevin, because in fact, I mean, let's just start off with life insurance. Low interest rates, I don't think a lot of people would realize this, but low interest rates have had an impact on life insurance. Kind of explain that. Well, Casey, when you look back at history, if you go back to 1982, the 10-year treasury note was at about 14.5%. So that meant if I had $100,000 and I bought a government bond with it, my rate of return for those 10 years was 14.5%. And then at the end of 10 years, I got my $100,000 back. That's kind of how a bond works. Well, fast forward to today, interest rates on the 10-year treasury note are 2.28%. And you say, well, why does that matter? Why does that matter to me? And one of the reasons why that matters is because when you look at financial instruments and different financial products that are put together by, for instance, in this case, an insurance company, they make certain assumptions about financial conditions. So if you bought a, a universal life policy, about a third of all policies that are sold 
our universal life or some version of permanent insurance there. So when you look at that, back in 2005, interest rates were at four and a quarter percent. So if you bought a policy in 2005 with interest rates at four and a quarter percent, the the insurance company was making certain assumptions. Well, here we are 10 years later, those 10 year notes that the insurance company bought with the premiums that you paid have matured. They're replacing the four and a quarter notes at two and a quarter. And so what that means is that something's got to give. And one of the things just uh, the Wall Street Journal just had an article on this. One of the things that that matters is some of the the, uh, the biggest insurance companies, the biggest names that are familiar to you are raising the cost of insurance internally within these contracts. Of existing policies. Yes. Yeah. So policies that are on the books, the, the cost per thousand of insurance is going to go up. So what is so people say? Well, what does that mean to me? Well, it means if you have a permanent life insurance policy, the assumptions that were in effect when you bought that probably aren't the same today. It just if if it's older than ten years for sure. So what I would tell you is call your insurance agent and request a meeting to review some sort of reprojection of your policy. When you bought it, there was a projection. They said, hey, this is what your policy is going to do, or based on current assumptions. Well, you can get a reprojection and see how is it actually doing. And if your agent's no longer around, I would tell you, call your financial planner or call a financial planner. And if you, your financial planner can't help you with this, then you don't have a financial planner. You just have an in- investment guy, most likely. And Mike, is there anything you want to add on with what Kevin was saying here? Yeah, so your cost could be going up if you have a universal life policy, and and that's because of what Kevin mentioned. But it could also mean that the investment component of your universal life policy was supposed to earn a certain amount of interest, and the insurance company may be cutting that interest rate now. They're, they're baked in where they've got a floor, and most insurance policies are now moving your interest rate down to what that floor was. Both of those signs point to you might have to start paying more for your existing universal life insurance policy, or you might have to consider a different trade-off. If you can't afford to pay more, you might need to reduce your death benefit. All that, again, though, points back to what Kevin said, and just give us a call or, or, or contact your financial advisor, but we're happy to help you. Give us a call and we can help you figure out what to do. All right, so low interest rates have an impact on your life insurance, but they also have an impact on your retirement planning Specifically, if you work at an employer who has a pension, Josh, explain that. Well, it's less and less people that work uh, at an employer that has a pension, but those that still have one, often government employees or or public employees, um, basically the way that a pension works is it's a big, huge pool of money that an employer has set aside for the purpose of investing and generating income that can be paid to retirees throughout their lifetime, similar to sending a, a social security check. This is a pension check. Well, the, the sum of money that is needed to generate that kind of income for someone's life is huge. And it, it's really a growing amount right now because of these lower interest rates. Often these pensions are managed by professionals that are really diversifying the portfolio but much of the investments are in interest-bearing uh, tools like bonds. And as those bonds have been maturing, similar to a CD at the bank, when it comes due, it needs to be reinvested and it's being reinvested at much lower rates. So it takes a bigger pool of money to generate the same old uh, amount of income. That's the exact same dilemma that a lot of retirees are facing in their own individual portfolios as well. 
we have more options at our disposal. You know, you can try to live off less in, in retirement, or maybe if you haven't retired yet, work a little longer, maybe save more during your working career. But a lot of people are erring on the side of just taking more risk. They're drifting out of those interest-bearing investments into the stock market, and it has implications. Most people, if you work at an employer that has a pension, you're going to be hearing about some changes if you haven't already. I mean, think about what Josh just said. Let's say you worked at a place where your pension was going to be $50,000 a year. That if you worked a certain number of years when you retire, they were going to pay you $50,000 a year for the rest of your life. If interest rates are at 5%, you needed to have a million dollars saved up. They'd pay a five, they'd get 5% on that. They'd pay your 50 grand. Well, what if interest rates are at 1%? Now you need $5 million. The, the, the pension company needs $5 million to keep that promise to you. So the, the dynamics have changed. And a lot of companies are now saying, we don't want that responsibility. So we're, we're going to renege in our pension promise and give you the money. You go do something with it. And we're seeing that more and more with a lot of big companies. You used to have a pension. Now you can lump some cash out. We're freezing the pension. You take the money and invest it how you want it. So that's a big, that's a big issue. Yeah, there were about 180,000 companies that had a defined benefit program just 10 years ago. And that number is down to about 50,000 now. Wow. So the, the, the employers are definitely going from accepting the risk of the investment portfolio to give you a payout to transferring that risk to the employees and saying, hey, you need to do what it takes to get your income where you want it to be when you retire. Yep. Now, what about people's income planning in general, which is obviously very important for retirement? So, I mean, how has these long periods of low interest rates had an impact there? Yeah, Josh touched on it already. I mean, most people try and solve this problem, and it is a big problem of how do we replace my paycheck when I retire? That's a big problem. That's probably the number one thing that we help people with is figuring that out. Most people try and solve that with bonds that pay a fixed interest rate or CDs that pay a fixed interest rate, sometimes dividend-paying stocks or even something called annuities. But all of those are paying lower interest rates. And, and so, and yet inflation's real and people need to replace a higher and higher paycheck. And so we need more and more income, but the interest rates are lower. So I just wrote here, it's just, just harder to do. Yeah, it's certainly harder to do. And a good, just a simple, easy example of that is when you think about your savings account, what's my savings account paying me? And it used to be, well, it's paying me two or three percent. And I was talking to a guy yesterday who has this good old days. Yeah, savings account at a local <laughs> bank, and it's paying him 0.04%. So four basis points. So on that's quadruple what mine is. Well, there you go. He's doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you two should talk. But I mean, if you look at that on $10,000, if you leave that $10,000 in the bank for a year, they're going to pay you a whopping four bucks of interest. And you say, well, hey, if you were if you were thinking, hey, I'm going to live off of interest from my savings account or my CD or other things like that, or that was going to supplement my income, certainly your income is much less now. That's why I would actually reframe this question from an income planning question to a cash flow planning question. Yes. You know, we have to look at not just the income side of the equation, but the expense side. If I came to either of you and said, hey, I have a cash flow problem, what would you be saying to me? You'd say, hey, focus on the expense side first. You don't, you don't know that you have an income problem until you've ruled out an expense problem. And this is one of the hardest things for retirees to get their uh, arms around is controlling the spending during the years that 
Yeah, quite frankly, they, they thought we're going to be the golden years where it was life of leisure and travel and all kinds of fun. Well, in reality, maybe they need to kind of rein in a little bit of that spending so that the income realities we're facing today fit and that it, it works in their financial life. All right. So we got a lot more to talk about. Again, we're talking about low interest rates from the Fed and how that has been an impact on your you know total financial picture. We've got a lot more to get to. Don't forget, we also have listener questions coming up in the last half of the show today. If you have a question you'd like to submit to the guys over at Corum Financial Group, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question there. Don't forget, you can listen to previous episodes, learn more about the program. You can also give us a call at 574-222-2000 and leave us a voicemail if you prefer to do that rather than going to the website. All right, so we got more coming up. You're listening to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm Casey Hendrickson. Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory are joining me. Once again, you can submit your question by calling us at 574-222-2000. You can also go online to wisemoneyradio.com. We're talking about low interest rates and what that has done to your overall financial picture. So we're going to go ahead and dive right back into this, and then a little bit later on we're going to have some listener questions as well in the last half of the program. So guys, we left off talking about the way that people's retirement plan has been impacted by low interest rates, but what about the area of investments, and how has that, impacted the low, by, how has that been impacted by low interest rates anyway? Since the 80s, since the early 80s, interest rates have trended down. And I like asking people, hey, when was you know, what was your first mortgage at? What interest rate was it? And for most of the people that I serve, they'll say something, oh, it's much higher than it, than it is now. We've been in a declining interest rate environment for the past 30 years. And what that's done, when interest rates go down, bond values or bond prices go up. So these bond investors, and most people own some bonds in their overall investing portfolio, they've actually probably gotten used to, a little too used to, really great bond performance numbers. You not only get your interest rate, but you're also getting a little bit of growth because interest rates have been going down. And so we've felt the positive effects of that. And I think a lot of people are concerned about what that's going to look like over the next decade or so. But that's been one of the positives of a declining interest rate environment on the investment side. And a lot of people really dial into the fact that the bond market could be facing a real headwind moving forward. Uh, because of that, a lot of people are now avoiding bonds um, more and more than ever. People who haven't had a true appetite for risk or appetite for stock market uh, performance, they're taking a heavier and heavier stake in stock mutual funds and, and other tools like this. In other words, they're dialing up the amount of risk they're taking because they're trying to make up for the lower interest rates that we've been experiencing in the market. Here. Can I can I be a conspiracy theorist here, Casey? Yeah, I think you, wrong program. Oh, sorry. That's me during the week. You know what? I'm just going to go for it. Uh, it couldn't you also say it was the aliens? The, the, the government is keeping interest rates lower to try and lure more dollars into the stock market and pump it up and make their administration look really good because the stock market's done X while I've been in office, right? I, I think that might be a conspiracy theorist. Why are you Why are you calling that a conspiracy theory? That's factually correct. Like right. that's that's what's been happening. So people have been lured away from keeping dollars in their savings account. They've been lured away from keeping them hidden and protected in bonds and more and more people like Josh 
said, are, are taking are taking risk and having those dollars in the in the market. At the behest of the government. Let's not forget. I mean, the government has said many, many times, hey, you're saving too much. Yeah. Because remember, the economy hit and it was, oh, you're not spending enough, you know, because we need you to spend, get the economy rolling again. Economy started rolling a little bit. And then it was like, hey, 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 you're saving too much. Yep. You need to stop doing that. So I think I don't think it's again, a giant Illuminati-esque type conspiracy. But I do think that there is a political role in, in all of this, as I've mentioned before. And uh, so I don't think you're too far off base at all, Mike. Yeah, but I said oftentimes on this show that I'm a nerd. And so I look at some of these things and there is actually more money pouring into bond mutual funds than stock mutual funds right now. And I think that's a sign that a lot of investors are nervous. And if you get really geeky, you would see that People at the average household is paying down their debt and increasing their savings at this time. And so those are healthy figures, I guess. But but I do think it's true that more people are increasing their risk in hope of getting some better investment return because bonds just don't have it today and might not have it for the foreseeable future. So what are the implications in somebody's present financial position? We talk about that a lot. One of the first places we go when we're talking about the opportunity that these low interest rates have provided is the, the chance to restructure your debt, to get high interest rate debt refinanced down to lower rates. That's one of the, the huge trends that's been happening since the Great Recession uh, years ago. These low interest rates have given people an opportunity to go completely refinance their mortgage and get their monthly payments down. That frees up dollars that they could be saving for retirement or other long-term goals my fear is that maybe it's freed up dollars that they can just spend. So the average person is just taking the money and they're spending it rather than doing what they're supposed to be doing with it. Exactly. Kind of like that windfall tax return that people get. They go ahead and they pay, they intentionally pay a little bit more. So they get, you know, two grand back or whatever, and they can go buy a nice TV. They use it as a form of savings. Yeah. I started the show by talking about the last time the Fed raised rates, which is in 06. 06 stands out to me as a great year to be a, a, a great housing market year, right? Before everything crashed. And I get a little concerned. If we start seeing interest rates come back up, what kind of uh, consequence that's going to be to a now improving housing market? A couple of weeks ago, they talked about new housing starts have surged. And so I think the real estate market has got better last year, and I think a lot of people are expecting it to improve again this year. If we start seeing interest rates go up, that house is now going to get a little more expensive because your interest rate's higher. So I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah, there, there are two sides to this coin, though, because if you are a borrower, certainly you want to take advantage of a lower interest rate. But if you're a lender... This is where, you know, the, the question about what, what, what effect does it have on my present financial position? If I'm a lender, it's had a, a terrible effect on my uh, present financial position. So you're just talking about banks? No, I'm talking about people saving money in the banks. And so the, the thing is, these low, artificially low interest rates really uh, jumble a lot of things up. They give people a disincentive to save because the rates on their savings are so low it actually gives the government a disincentive to stop borrowing. If oh. interest rates went up today, Congress would have to get serious about the deficit. But they don't have to now because of where rates are. The other thing, the other issue is when you look at being an industry, these lower rates cause most of your competitors to gorge themselves on the easy cash and lever up their business. 
Well, if your competitor is levering up and competing against you, you may not be able to compete effectively against them if you're not willing to forego your guiding principles that you have financially and uh, just be like everyone else. That's interesting that you bring that up because at a national level, corporate debt has been ballooning because of these low interest rates. Uh, I just saw an article that said $1.57 trillion was borrowed by U.S. corporations last year alone. And they're also extending how long that debt lasts as well. So oh, that scares me. It, it does. It. Because, you know, Kevin, you mentioned the government. I just mentioned U.S. corporations. But what about U.S. families? Are they falling into the same trap? I hope our listeners aren't. I hope that they're not buying into the belief that, boy, if there's cheap money out there, you need to go get some and put it to use because it may be a trap for you. So we, I want to get kind of like a summary here. Because people are obviously, they're out there doing their, their yep. shopping and everything. And they're coming back in and they're kind of picking up some of it. I read an article the other day, and I know that we've touched on a lot of this today, but I just want like a quick summary, guys, that was talking about how positive it is to have the Fed raise interest rates. So what are some of the positives? Because there's positives and negatives to having it low or high. So just in summary, you know, what are some of the positives of interest rates going up and the positives of it you know, continuing to be low? Well, a couple of the positives. Number one, it would increase income to savers. Number two, it would give a disincentive to the government to continue to borrow more money, and hopefully it would have our elected leaders in Washington get serious and responsible about the deficit that we have. Uh, it would, right now, with the, with, this, with the low interest rates, there's a, a, a dislocation, if you will, with uh, credit, and it, it starts to straighten that dislocation out. And another thing, it's just as simple as just making, automa- uh, making automation more expensive. If, it's, if cash is more expensive to borrow, it's more expensive for me to borrow cash and automate. So instead of automating, I might need to just hire real people instead. So it could be a job incentive as well. Absolutely. Could there could be more jobs if interest rates go. Any final takeaways before we move on? You know, you, so we're ending on a positive. That's good. Thanks, Casey. But most of the show so far has been negative. And it, to me, just points to climbing this financial mountain of whatever your financial goal is, climbing it and getting down. It has gotten harder because interest rates are lower. And it should increase the need for you to have a coach and, and a great plan. We're happy to help you with that. Con- contact our office. Give us a call. And as with the ups and downs that we talk about with the markets and everything else all the time on this program, I mean, there's ways to make money when things are bad. There's ways of making money when things are good. Same with interest rates. Ways of making money when they're low. Ways of using it to your advantage. And when interest rates start raising, you know, raising up, there's a way for you to make money there. It changes you just need a professional strategy. help guide you. That's exactly right. It changes the strategy. Work with someone who knows the strategies. Corhorn.com. Corhorn with a K. They can help you out. All right, so we're going to get some listener questions coming up on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group next, right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Hello, everybody. I want to thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. we got Kevin, Mike, and Josh. I'm Casey. And again, we are getting to listener questions. So if you have a question you would ever like to submit to the guys over at Corhorn Financial Group, go to wisemoneyradio.com. Submit your question using the web form. You can also listen to previous episodes, but you can also give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 574-222-2000. So let's start off with Janet. Janet's from South Bend, 48 years old. My husband and I have been debating for over a year about a kitchen remodeling project that I would like to do. It's always the wife that wants to remodel the kitchen, guys. Why is that? Hey, 
Don't stir up controversy, Casey. Keep going. I, I'm not criticizing. <laughs> I just, I always, I found it interesting. It's always the wife that wants to remodel the kitchen. The guys never, you know, we can just kind of make do with what, what we have. Anyway, we have enough money in the bank, but he doesn't feel like we should spend it now. And I feel that we need to do so to keep the house value up for resale. What do you have, uh, you know, as far as uh, thoughts on this, any insights, whatever for uh, for Janet? You know, what's funny. Every time I'm I'm out either at the at a restaurant or at the mall or Target or something like that, and I run into a client of mine, they always are quick to say, uh, it's in the budget, you know, don't get mad at me. And I think, who do you think I am? Wait, I, I want you to enjoy your money. I want you to have financial success. And I, I bring that up here because... Because, you know, updating your home and, and, and putting money in your home, I think it's just a natural thing. I personally, it's a big financial goal for me and my wife to set money aside, to make improvements to our home and all of that. And I think people, when they have this urge, come to financial advisors almost assuming that we're going to say, oh, you should never put money in your home. That's always a bad investment. Now, what, I re, what I'd say to you, Janet, to kick things off is I'd want you guys to be sure that you're dialed in on what your highest priority financial goals are first. As I already mentioned, my wife and I do this, but I do that with confidence, set money aside to update our house because I know that our higher priority goals of retirement and putting our kids into college someday and having the right amount in emergency fund, I know where we stand with those goals. I know exactly where we are. And that gives me the freedom to then say, all right, well, we've got, we can carve this much out to do home improvements as well. Yeah. So what you're hitting on is being on the same page with your spouse, right? Yeah. And, and that's the struggle that a lot of families go through is, you know, having, having differing opinions, but not fully understanding the other spouse's side of the story or what their viewpoint is. You may be able to say uh, what they think, but do you know why they think it? And I, I saw an example of this uh, with one of my clients. Similarly, they had um, money that they had saved up for a goal. It was home improvement projects, not a kitchen, but other things. And the husband didn't want to spend the money. They were both on the same page as far as agreeing that it was a goal that was important. They agreed on the price tag of the goal. They'd already saved up the money, but the husband wouldn't sign off on the deal. He wasn't ready to pull the trigger. Backed out. Yeah. You know, he, he had cold feet for some reason. And, you know, if, if you're the wife in that situation, you could be telling yourself a story, oh, or in Janet's situation, uh, you know, he just wants a bass boat or he's trying to sabotage my plan for some other reason. But uh, in, in reality, it may be a completely different why on his, his stance. In my client's uh, scenario, the husband was actually feeling kind of vulnerable in his work situation. He uh, is in a sales position and is wondering if the good times are going to keep on rolling. And because of that, he felt more cautious than he normally would and didn't want to part with the cash. He actually wanted to see their savings go above the amount needed for the goal before they would spend the money. And, you know, when, when they could see each other's side of the story, everyone just felt better about waiting on the project. And, uh, you know, in the case of, of Janet, I would encourage you to make sure you understand your husband's side of the story. I would also caution you to make sure that you're not just doing this project for resale value. That's right. That was one part of what she said. I'd be talking to a realtor if you're thinking that this is going to somehow sell your house more. I would much rather see the kitchen actually be a lifestyle decision, something that's going to improve the function of the family as opposed to thinking that it's some moneymaker for you. I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because that was one of the things that I picked up on. And I know that I kind of jokingly just, you know, kind of picked on women. But here's the thing. I mean, having a good kitchen definitely improves the resale value of a home. However, it's not as important as it used to be. 
yeah with people buying and now with so many different options for kitchens you might buy this amazing kitchen somebody hates it they want to just tear it out that's exactly um, right but something else too I, we have to we have to ask this and janet we're not trying to pick on you we're just trying to you know throw things out there because your situation may not be equal to what somebody else listening is is going through you said that you wanted to do the kitchen in order to keep the house value up for resale None of us asked if they were actually planning on selling anytime soon. That's before. right. Yeah. So is is she potentially using that as okay? Well, we want to you know make sure that the house is always valuable, even though we're not planning on selling anytime in the near future. And at that point, it might very well be I want a new kitchen. I need a new kitchen. There's nothing wrong with that, Janet. But that kind of goes back to what Josh was saying. Make sure this is a a function of of improving the family lifestyle. That is one of the prime examples of rationalization at its best. Taking something that you want and reframing it as an investment. Right, this is going to pay off in the long run, or it's going to uh, make dollars and cents uh, down down the line. But in reality, as you said, it's it's possible that this is really just a want, and there may be needs that should take precedence over it. Yeah, I would say, Jana, if if improving the kitchen has been baked into the budget, that you want to get a, a realtor and say, what will it do? If, if, if the reason is resale, what will it do to the resale of my house? We sold a house in 2010 when no houses were selling and people would come in, they'd walk in and if they didn't like what they saw, they were gone. They didn't they weren't waiting around. They weren't saying, hey, can we negotiate this amount into the contract to improve this or that? And when our realtor walked in, she said, hey, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to change the surfaces in your kitchen because when people walk in, if it's not a hard surface, they're going to walk right back out. And quite honestly, I could have lived forever with Formica countertops, I very functional, and I was very happy. Personally, I have no sense of style or taste, so I didn't really care. But we did that on the way out of the house. And I thought, isn't that crazy? We put hard surfaces in our kitchen on the way out of the house so we could sell our house. What if we had done it five years before and enjoyed it while we yeah. were there? Mm-hmm. So back to Casey's point, I would say if you've set the money aside and it will add value, it's, it can be very pricey to redo a kitchen. But I would say if you're going to do it, do it and enjoy it for yourself and live in it as long as you can. Um, don't just do it for the the next person that's going to buy your house. Yeah, and we should also kind of swing back because I, I don't want Janet to misunderstand anything that we're saying. If you, for your happiness and the function of your home, if you believe that you need a better kitchen, have that conversation. Um, because, you know, maybe not justify it as a resale value sort of a thing, but if you're at the point where that kitchen is driving you mad and you're, you know, hitting your toe on, on stuff all the time and the stove doesn't work or whatever... Just have that conversation. There, there's nothing wrong with having that conversation, just saying, I'm going to go mad and I am going to kill you in your sleep if we don't get a new kitchen, sweetheart. Yeah, and another th- observation. I'm grinning right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, something I've observed, and this kind of ties into Josh's story, is that when people set aside money for a goal and they actually have the money, they are so much more careful in making so true making those decisions because if you're just using someone else's money whether it's the bank's money or you name it you're just not as careful as when it's your money and it's and you've set it aside and you've grown this from nothing into now I've got $15,000 to redo my kitchen. I'm going to get as much as I can out of this deal. There's a lot of work that went into building that little nest egg for your and now you're like do I really want to spend it on this? Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I think we need to applaud what Janet and her husband have accomplished. They saved Absolutely. ahead for something instead of borrowing and paying for it after the fact. 
Good job. Uh, you know, hats off to you. And kitchens aren't cheap. Just be honest with one another about why you want the new kitchen or why you don't want the new kitchen. I think you guys can hash it out. So best of luck. All right. Uh, and we appreciate the question, too, by the way. We've got more questions coming up. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Wise Money is powered by Ledoux, Curran, and Keene. Wise Money deserves wise legal counsel on the web at lck-law.com. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Casey Hendrickson here. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Kevin, Mike, and Josh from Corhorn Financial Group are, uh, of course, with us. We're doing listener questions right now. Had a great question from Janet about remodeling the kitchen, and you know she wants to do it. Her husband is a little hesitant. So we had a really good question there. But now we've got Aaron from New Carlisle, 55 years old. I inherited my parents' antique coins and some gold and silver coins. Yeah, we've never heard about gold and silver coins on this radio station. I think that I want to keep the antique coins and then sell the others. Is that a good decision, or should I do something a little bit different? Uh, Aaron, have you? Thanks for the question, Aaron. Have you looked at the price of silver or gold right now? Silver and gold. Silver. <laughs> Sorry, tis the season. At, they're at five-year lows, and so even though still on this very station, I believe there's still uh, advertisements about how great of an investment gold is. It's just plummeting in value right now. And but really gold has... can never be worth zero. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <They laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can't. I can't. My <laughs> audience knows I'm not a gold guy. But, but and people come into our office all the time and, and say, hey, I heard about gold being such a great investment. I just laugh. I laugh. Gold is a very risky investment. One of the geeky ways that we measure risk with investments is something called standard deviation. The standard deviation of gold is about 25% more or higher or more aggressive, more risky than the stock market. And so it's just extremely risky. But I would tell you, Aaron, if you don't have to sell these things right now, don't sell them. Because gold's at a five-year low, and with a strong dollar, who knows if that's going to continue to go down. Should that mean you should go out and buy more? Well, I'd go back to what I just said. It's a pretty aggressive, risky investment. And so anyway, but I wouldn't rush out and sell those things right now with gold price being so low. Yeah, but one of the things that you look at is what a guiding principle of investing is you look at any asset that you have and you say, okay, I have this now. Are the reasons that I'm keeping it are the same, were they the same reasons that I bought it? Well, he inherited it. Right. So this is different, right? So he didn't buy it. He inherited it. So the question is, even though gold is at a five-year low, what else might he have had that could also be at a five-year low? And if you're if you're selling gold at a five-year low and you're able to buy something else at a five-year low, then maybe it makes sense. If he's, for instance, if he has a 300-gallon tank at his house, gas is at a five-year low. Yeah. Sell your gold, because last time I checked, you can't put gold in the gas tank. So sell, sell your gold, $600 worth of gold, take that $600 and fill up your storage tank at your house. So there's all different ways to look at this. And I say, well, what... One of the things you want to consider is what's the opportunity cost. If that money is sitting in gold, it can't do something else for you. And if something else is nothing else, then leave it in gold. But if something else is something meaningful and helpful and helps you reach your financial goals, I'll tell you what, one, one way to get a, a 20% return on that right off the bat, sell $5,000 worth of that gold, 
put in a 529 plan. You got a 20% credit on all $5,000. So, Josh, am I stealing some of your thunder here, buddy? No, I think actually you're hitting it better than I could have said. I, I think a lot of people hold things like these antique coins really out of nostalgia, yeah. but they rationalize it as an investment. Um, you know, really it's no different than uh, inheriting grandpa's old shotgun that you learned how to hunt with, you know. But if it's something that you're owning just because it has some sort of emotional appeal to you, treat it like any other want that's in your life and measure it against whether or not that asset, that, that pool of, uh, of gold coins is taking money away from some other important need, which is exactly what you were just saying. You know, if it's a toss up between keeping gold coins in a safe somewhere or being able to pay your your kids' medical bills or to help save for their college or something, then, you know, maybe you need to look real closely at it. I, I do respect what you're saying, though, about the five-year lows. I love the sound of five-year lows, though, as a buying opportunity. It's kind of like, uh, you know, December 21st just uh, rolled around, and it's my favorite day of the year because it's the shortest day of the year. And I tell myself every year that from December 22nd on through June, each day is going to get a little longer, a little bit more sunshine, right? So I always say December 21st is the most optimistic day of the year. We should love that day instead of being depressed at no sunlight. And the same is true when you run into a five-year low or a, a dip in the market. It's when people are most afraid or most pessimistic, and they really should be most optimistic, whether that's gold, oil, stock markets, whatever. Buy the dips, don't sell the dips. So it sounds like you're saying double down and uh, buy a little bit more? I'm not necessarily saying that, no. <laughs> well, but what you said, though, about selling something, if you're going to sell at a dip sure, and you buy something else mm -hmm. also at a depressed price, that's a good move. If uh, you know those dollars should be invested more for the long haul, I, I like it. Now, if gold is going to continue to slide down, and which I believe is the prediction right now that gold is still going to continue to slide and he doesn't have any attachment to these coins. Should he sell now? I think it goes back to what we've kind of been chewing on is really what's the big purpose or what are the big goals in your financial life, Aaron? And, and if you really don't need the money and all your other goals are funded, probably don't sell it right now. Even if the outlook on, on gold is negative because the dollar is going to continue to strengthen and so on. But if you are swimming in 25% credit card debt or you've got some other goals uh, that need to be funded, maybe you don't look at this purely as an investment and you do something better with it that improves your financial life, gets you closer to your goals. So we've been talking about the Fed interest rates all day. How might a decision in the interest rates to raise the interest rates kind of affect this guy's potential transaction with gold? I, you know, I, the dollar's weak and gold is going through the roof, right? Well, yeah, we we've heard multiple times this week. Dollar if, is strong right now, by the way. Yeah, if you That's but right. if you listen to the commercials, gold's going to double this year, or the next year, or the next year, and it's been predicted uh, to for that to happen. Especially so, if you get a bunch of people to artificially buy your gold product, right? And I remember back in the late 70s when gold was at $800 an ounce. So this is the late 70s, early 80s. Gold's at $800 an ounce. Gold got as high as, I, I believe, $1,800 an ounce. And today it's at ten uh, $1,070, something like that, per ounce. So it goes from $800 to 1000 in the last 35 years. That's, that's not necessarily uh, tearing it up. There as far as the investment okay. performance. 
You should keep the silver, though, because in the event of werewolves and, you know, apocalypse, you can melt that down, make yourself some lead. Um, There's the conspiracy theorist that I love. <laughs> or the Hunt there Brothers could try and corner the market again. Yeah, I know. I, I know silver doesn't melt, melt down into lead, people. Just get off my back. I'm <laughs> trying to have fun here. All right, so Ricky and Linda, uh, they are 61 years old. This is a great question. We're running out of time, guys, and so I wanted to make sure I got this one. Apologize about everybody else we didn't get to today, but how much does it cost to work with you? Do you hold classes or workshops on preparing for retirement? We used to do classes, and we've been talking about that, doing doing some more, especially with the launch of the we radio show. We do a class show. every Saturday from uh, there you go. You know, every Saturday stay, at nine. Stay tuned. Just yeah. saying, but it's an I hour long class, I, free. We used to do them, and and I there's some talk right now about doing some more. How much does it cost to work with us? It really depends on the service. And how we've built our firm is to serve our clients. And so it's a cost per service. The initial consultation, just to come in and talk about what your needs are, there's no cost with that. And we're going to sit down and see if, if, if we can offer the services that you need. And so see if we're a good fit for you and if you're a good fit for us. And, uh, and there's no cost until we figure out what your need is and and then what service matches that need. And then we'll certainly talk through exactly what the cost is for you and all that. So really nothing intimidating, just... Yeah, think along the lines, there's no upfront cost. So you want to, if you sit down with a financial planner, you're really going to figure out two things. Number one, if they can help you. And number two, if you want their help. And once you've figured out uh, if you want their help, they should be able to show you all the areas in which they can help what the, the scope of that work looks like and what the cost is. And we just believe our, our clients are a good judge of value, so they know what it feels like to have money in their pocket and they know what value is. And if there's a, a good equilibrium there, uh, they're going to uh, get help. Yeah, it's always nice if you have a good relationship with your financial planner. Just well, saying. Well, yeah, you, wanna, you want to like your advisor because if you don't like your advisor – it's unlikely that you're going to take their advice. And if you don't take their advice, you don't need an advisor. And three out of the four guys in the studio right now are likable. So, I mean, we're batting a a pretty good average. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to let the audience decide which one wasn't likable. Yeah. All right. So, uh, once again, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit your question there. You can also give us a call and leave a voicemail question at 574-222-2000. If you are looking... For some financial advice and you would like to use the services of Corhorn Financial Group, Corhorn.com. That is Corhorn with a K. Thank you very much for listening to Wise Money with News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.